online, thank you for joining us as well. And we trust that you will be engaged in God's word uh, today. I just want to highlight one announcement that we just made, and we made it last week, and it's called You Serve Volunteer Fair. If you didn't pick up one of these on your way in, they are at the welcome desk. You can grab one of these on your way out, and it just lists the various things that you can get involved in uh, here at Unionville Alliance, whether it's in-person events or online stuff. We need help all over the place. So if you would uh, like to volunteer and get involved, well, guess what? We need volunteers. So there's lots of different areas. If you're willing and able to come in person, we could use you. If you're not comfortable to come back in person yet, uh, for those watching online, we have lots of areas in which you could serve uh, online behind the scenes as well. So uh, please just take a note of this. What's gonna happen is after the service next week, on your way out, we'll have various ministry leaders, if there's no rain, outside. And as you go out, you could stop at various places and just uh, chat with some of our ministry leaders and they'll be able to give you some information for those areas. If it's raining, we're gonna do it downstairs uh, in the different rooms and we'll give you some information regarding that. But uh, weather permitting, we'll just do it outside and give you an opportunity to see what areas you might like to get involved in. But in preparation for that, take a look at this list or go on our website and we would love for you to get engaged in what we're doing here. Now, we're continuing our series on the seven churches and uh, we're working through chapters two and three, not necessarily in order, uh, but the messages are still relevant for us today, even though they were messages to these seven churches about 2,000 years ago. And my hope and my prayer is that all of us in these weeks is that we would be listening to the Spirit, listening to what the Lord has to say to us, and to hear what the Lord has to speak to us personally, but also corporately as a church. If you call Unionville Alliance Church your home church, then I want, you, I want to ask you to listen corporately as well, whether it's in your life groups or with others, to hear what the Spirit is saying to us here at Unionville corporately, but also individually and personally for all of us. And, and I hope you join a life group now uh, also at the welcome desk, we have life group questions that are detailed based on what we're, we're teaching each week. And so I want to encourage you first off to join a life group. Uh, that would be wonderful. And to dig in deeper into what we're talking about on Sunday mornings with a community of people that you could uh, walk with and journey with. Uh, but uh, if not, at least if you would like to pick up those life group questions and read through some of those things and, and challenge yourself as well to dig in deeper into God's word. Now, as we talked about uh, last, uh, last week, as John talked a little bit about, and as I talked about the week before, is that each of these messages are sort of split up into a similar format. You have a, a revelation of Jesus, you have a commendation of good things or, or a rebuke, uh, of negative things or both at the same time. And then there's also a remedy or a call to repentance. A lot of them, there's a call to repentance. And then finally, there's either a judgment and or a reward, okay? Now, Today, we're gonna look a little bit at the church of Pergamum. And you can see it up there, it's the most northern city on this map. Uh, and the Greek name of uh, Pergamum actually means elevation or height or actually citadel because Pergamum, the city of Pergamum was a very fortified city that was built at an elevation of probably more than a thousand feet uh, in the air. And it was a very, very large city. 
Um, as you can see here, this is sort of a little bit of an aerial view of the ancient city of Pergamum, which was built on an acropolis or uh, an elevated hill. Uh, and the modern city of Pergamum, which is called Bergama, is sort of just off of the acropolis. Okay, and so you can see here in this in this photo, if I can point out on the center screen, you can see a large sort of theater. Uh, you have various other uh, relics, and these are actually some. Um, temples to other gods, which we're going to get to uh, in a moment. Now, uh, Pergamum at this time, it was the capital of Asia Minor. So it was, it was a big and important city, not just a, a religious uh, center, but also a, a political uh, center as well. You could say this is probably the equivalent to like Ottawa for Canada or Washington DC for the, for the United States. It was the capital. And it featured, as you can see here, one of the biggest Hellenistic theaters uh, that had a very, very steep incline. And from what I'm told is that if you stand on the stage, you don't need a microphone like I'm using, right? You can stand on the stage and the acoustics are so good that people all the way at the top could hear you even if you're talking with a regular voice all the way at the bottom. Now, it had about 80 rows of seats divided up into three different sections, and it could fit, get ready, 10,000 people in this, in this theater, right? Um, it's also said that uh, the uh, parchment actually was invented here because they had a, a massive library of more than 2,000 volumes, now 200,000 volumes. Now, Remember, we have a printing press, we have digital things now, and we can duplicate things very quickly. But back then, they couldn't. They had to handwrite each parchment. And so they had a massive library, 200,000 volumes of quote-unquote books or, or parchments. Now, this place of Pergamum, uh, as Sarah read the portion of scripture that we're studying, in one portion, Jesus says, he says, I know where you are, where? Satan dwells, or where Satan's seat is. And this place of Pergamum was actually a center of worship. They worship all kinds of gods, like Zeus, and Athena, and Dionysus, and, and Trajan, the emperor. Uh, and um, they also uh, worshiped a god named uh, As uh, Eclipsus. And we'll talk a little bit about him just in a moment, but this was really a center of worship. Uh, there was a huge god, Athena, uh, and there was a huge statue that was actually found of her when they were excavating, and she was known as the goddess of war and wisdom, and particularly because they had this big, huge library as well. But also remember that Jesus came actually to give us wisdom, wisdom in how to live this life. Uh, there was another temple to a god, uh, Dionysus, and he was the god of wine, fertility, uh, festivity, religious ecstasy, and also theater, right? So, of course, with this beautiful theater that's here, uh, actually the temple of Dionysus, I believe, is near the bottom of this theater. And uh, so when you would go for entertainment, it wasn't just an entertaining experience, but it was also a worship experience. So let me, let me distinguish it for you. When you come, say, to a church building like this on Sunday morning, or for those watching online, when you tune in online, what are you tuning into? A worship experience, right? When you go to Cineplex to watch a movie, what are you going to? An entertainment experience, not really a worship experience, or I hope not at least, right? <laughs> But for the people in the city of Pergamum, when they went to the theater, 
It wasn't just an entertainment experience, but it was a cross between an entertainment experience and a worship experience because of the god Dionysus, who was the god of entertainment, right? The god of theater, right? The god of like um, festivities, right? And so one thing that we have to understand is that in a lot of things that the people of Pergamum did, it wasn't just a regular activity, but it was a worship experience because this city had so many gods, had so many temples, and everything that they did was revolving around that. Forget about atheism in, that, in those days. There was no such thing because there was a, 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 a plurality of gods at the time. right? And so they went to, to uh, worship different gods. And so the theater setting um, was a setting of culture, was a setting of worship, was a setting of religion. And actually that still happens to today even if we don't know it, and that's what we're gonna look at. Because a lot of times the things that we do, maybe it's outside of these four walls or outside of the room that you're watching this in if you're streaming this. Many times things that we do outside as well we don't think it's a worship experience because we're not doing it maybe on a Sunday morning like we come here, but there are worship experiences that we participate in. And I think that's part of the message that Jesus has for this church. And part of the message that we have to listen to the Spirit. Are we involved in worship experiences outside of our devotion to Christ? Are we involved in worship experiences that maybe unbeknownst to us are doing something within our heart and our mind and our spirit and our emotions and in our soul that's changing us and maybe not for the good, but actually for the worse. And that's what I think the Spirit of God wants to speak to us through this. Now, there was another altar that was there. This is the altar to Zeus. Okay, and as you can see here, there's not much that's left here, but this is the altar to, to, to Zeus. And what they did actually, they found uh, the pieces there and they moved it actually, long story short, they moved it all the way to uh, Berlin, Germany. And this is actually what it looks like now. It's huge. This is not a recreation. This is the actual thing. Now they've restored probably parts of it, right? But they moved it all the way from Pergamum to Berlin, Germany. It's 35 meters wide, 33 uh, meters deep. The front staircase is almost 20 meters high, and it's in total 40 feet high. Now, Zeus was, was the chief of all gods. Zeus was the, the, the king of all gods, you can say. And so when people in Pergamum came to the altar of Zeus to worship, when they came to this, it wasn't really considered a temple, it was just considered an altar. When they came there, they were worshiping, right? Because Zeus, for them, he was the king. He was the, the top god, right? All these other ones were secondary compared to Zeus. Now, uh, at that time as well, the emperor was considered divine. And so I'll show you a picture here of, this is the, the, the relics of the temple to Emperor Trajan. So this is Trajan's temple. Now he was the, he was, uh, the emperor during that time. Uh, shortly after this letter was written, actually, uh, I believe this, this uh, temple to Trajan was built. And uh, what the emperors would do is that they would select cities in their realm to build a temple in so that the people could worship. 
And because Pergamum was also the capital of Asia Minor and a very significant religious center, but also political center, well, guess what Trajan decided to do? He said, I'm gonna put my temple right here. And so this is quite significant, right? And not only that, the first emperor, Caesar Augustus, who was Caesar during the time of Jesus' birth, he also chose Pergamum to be the place where his temple was built, right? Now, if you go back to the letter, when the letter says, Jesus says to the church, I know where you live, where Satan dwells. Can you see sort of why he's saying that? Can you see sort of the, like, maybe you can pick one or the other, but if you wanna look at all of them, hey, there's a lot of spiritual things that are going on in this particular city. Now, there's another temple. Uh, this is also a little bit, another view of the Temple of Trajan, as well a side view of a little bit of what's left there. Now, there's another uh, temple, uh, Asclepius, Asclepius, I think, okay. A-S-C-L-E-P-I-U-S, right? He was the Greek god for healing and medicine, right? Now, let me tell you, this sort of temple or this sort of area, these guys were far and away ahead of everyone else when it came to medicine and healing, right? This was like a modern day uh, spa treatment, okay? Let's call it, right? They had, uh, scholars think as they see, as they ex excavate and see some of the things that went on there, scholars think these people had dream therapy, sleep chambers, water therapy, music therapy. They were advanced. They had a lot of alternate healing methods. Uh, they had an auditorium there. We saw the one that sat uh, uh, 10,000 people. They had another auditorium in Eclipsis uh, Temple that actually uh, would seat 3,500 people. Now, Eclipsis was also designated with the Greek word soter. Do you know what that means? It means savior. Do you remember some, some a uh, couple months ago, uh, I talked to you about Jesus, our savior and healer, right? And I gave you a word that talked about how Jesus was savior and healer, and that's the word sozo, right? which means salvation and healing together. Well, Eclipsis, his, he was designated as Soter, which means savior, but he was known as the God of healing, the God of healing and the God of medicine. Actually, one of the most famous physicians in all of the ancient world, his name is uh, Galen, he was actually born and studied in Pergamum because Pergamum was very advanced in their medical practices, right? Do you want to see what the symbol of uh, Asclepius is? That's him. And do you see this pole that's right here? And around it is a, is a snake. Now, if you just go into Google, permission granted right now if you like, just Google rod of Eclipsis, and what, you, what will you see? You'll see the modern day medical symbol. And it all stems from here, from the god of medicine and healing, right? Um, now, this is where Jesus is saying, now, if it, there's a serpent that's wrapped around this pole, and Jesus is saying, I know where you live, where? Satan dwells. And, and in the Bible, the serpent is actually a picture of, of Satan, all the way from the beginning, from the Garden of Eden, all the way till the end in the book of Revelation as well, right? And so, here's an artistic rendition of what Pergamum might have looked like, 
right, with all of that. And you can see right in the middle, that's the temple of Zeus. That's right there, and then so many other temples uh, that would have been located here. So when you see all of what was happening there in Pergamum, you can say, yeah, that was a pretty spiritually tense situation, right? That was probably a, a very difficult tension to live in. If, if you're a Christian, how do you live in that, in that situation, right? If you're a Christian and you're thinking, man, long day, hard day of work, I'm just gonna go to the theater and, you know, watch a production, right? Is it the same as Friday night going to the Cineplex? Not really. Because if you go to the theater for that production in Pergamum, it's not just an entertaining experience, but it's also what? A worship experience. And if you're tired after the week, you're like, oh man, my body's so tired. I just, I want to get to the spa. So I'm going to go to Eclipse's temple there, and I'm going to sit back and relax with some water treatment in the spa. Is it just that? No. Because you've got to worship the God as well. It's a worship experience that they're involved in. And so this is why Jesus says here, I know where you live, where Satan dwells, and the tension in which you're living in right now is very difficult because I want you to understand what the culture is and what's happening here, and I want you, my followers, to be faithful to me. And that was very difficult if you were sick and, and if you're like, oh, let me go down to Eclipse's temple and you know, they had some modern medicine treatments and everything there, let me go and, and, and get some treatment there. Well, you know, thankfully, you know, we can go to the hospital here and just get treated. But there, it was a worship experience. They had these snakes that would actually crawl out, non-poisonous snakes that would crawl around in, the, in that temple. It was an experience, it was a worship experience. And so that's why Jesus uses some strong terminology here. So let's look at the revelation of Jesus here. In this, in, in this portion, the revelation of Jesus, he says that he has a sharp sword with two edges, right? Which, which can speak of judgment, right? But it also speaks of God's word. Now, the sword here, the sharp two-edged sword, when Jesus says, I have a sharp two-edged sword, he was connecting with the people of the time because the, the governor would live in Pergamum or the, the Roman consul would live in Pergamum and, and their symbol was the sword as well, a symbol of judgment, a symbol of authority, a symbol of power in this very significant city. And so I think in many ways, Jesus was telling them, look, I have the real power. I have the real authority, not the Romans that are around there. And I'm the one that's holding the two-edged sword. And even in Revelation 18, it talks about Jesus coming back with a, a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth to, to judge the nations. And so we can see that this speaks about judgment, but it also speaks about God's word. In Hebrews 4, in verse 12, it says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, and exposes the innermost thoughts and desires. Friends, we need to have a love and a desire and a longing and a revelation and an understanding of God's word in our lives. One of the greatest uh, uh, tragedies of the modern Christian age is a lack of biblical literacy. And it's not just here for Sunday morning. It's not sufficient just to come and hear a message on Sunday morning, friends. We need to dig into God's word on a daily basis. 
And we need to know what God's word says for us because God's word is convicting. And sometimes we don't want to dig into God's word because it's going to convict us. Sometimes we want to leave God's word to a side because it is that sharp sword that's going to divide asunder. It's going to cut. It's going to show us the areas in which we're failing and we're lacking. And it's going to show us the areas in which we need to repent and turn to him. But we need it, friends. We need God's word. And we need to dig into God's word more and more. There is a project called the uh, Project Pearl Bibles. Uh, it was a project to deliver one million Chinese Bibles uh, to China in 1981. And they successfully delivered some of those Bibles. Uh, if you know the story of the heavenly man, Brother Yun, he was one of the recipients of those Bibles as well, if you're familiar with his story. Uh, but there was a man named Peter, Peter Yu, and he was the leader of the Born Again movement. And he told the following story to uh, the organization Open Door. Doors, which we're going to partner with as well in a few weeks' time as we uh, remember the National Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, which is on November 6th. And on that particular Sunday, we're, we're going to be studying the Church of Smyrna, which was known as the Persecuted Church. And so what Peter did was, uh, after these Bibles, some of these Bibles were sent, they were kept in a depository, and he would send people to get them a thousand Bibles per trip for his growing house church movement. And so one time when he sent three men to get them, the local police found out, and they put the men in prison, and they took the thousand Bibles, and they threw it into a public latrine right? Because they didn't want anyone to have access to that. And so it was, it was stinky and smelling, and they interrogated the men for the weekend. On, on Monday, they released them and told them to go straight home and to never return. But do you know what the men did? They waited and hid until the evening, and then they climbed into that filthy latrine and pulled out those Bibles that were stinky and smelly one by one and cleaned them off took them back, uh, let them dry, and passed them out to people. That was the hunger for God's word. In Psalms it says, but they delight in the law of the Lord. Meditating on it, day and night. Friends, let's take time to read and study God's word. Now, they were commended for a few things. They were commended that they had some good works and that they were fruitful. Verse 13 says, I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne. I think hopefully it makes a little bit more sense now. Now, if you want to say, hey, that's the throne of Zeus or that's the throne of, or the temple of Eclipsus or if that's the, uh, the temple of Dionysus or any of these other ones, there was a multitude that you could choose from or just say that all of them in conglomeration seemed to be pretty bad. But it says here, you have remained loyal to me. You refused to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan City. See, they stayed faithful to Christ even in the midst of persecution. And they had this man, Antipas, who left a beautiful testimony of faithfulness. And probably what would have happened, we don't know, there's not much details given about Antipas, but probably what would have happened is that Antipas said no to worshiping one of these gods, Antipas would have said no to bowing down in one of these temples or, 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 or following after one of these gods and making a distinction between God's word and the culture uh, of that time. And because of that, he paid with his life, right? But there was, some, there was a few rebukes that Jesus gave to this church, and I just want to go over it very quickly. The first rebuke was that, well, it's really one rebuke in two parts. And the rebuke was is that they had false teachings, they had wrong teachings 
They were allowing bad doctrine and teaching in their church that caused them to go astray. The first one is with the doctrine of, of Balaam. And in Jude, here it says, like Balaam, they deceived people for money. And so the problem with Balaam, just to give you a quickly a recap, see, uh, Balak, who was the king of Moab, he called Balaam and said, hey, can you come and curse Israel for me? Because I, this was during Moses' time and they were conquering other uh, cities and coming into the promised land. And he said, hey, can you come and curse Israel? Because I don't want them to come and take over my land. Balaam said, I can't come because the Lord has blessed them. The Lord hasn't allowed me to come. Balak sends some, some more messages, and then Balaam finally decides to go. Big long story, you can read about it in the book of Numbers. Uh, and Balak offered all this money uh, to Balaam, and Balaam said, no, I, I can't do anything more than what the Lord would allow me to say. And so in, first, in 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter, he gives some exhortations to the church during that time, and he says this, but there were also false prophets in Israel speaking about in times past what, what would have happened, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cl cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who brought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Many will follow their teaching and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. And friends, the difficult thing here now in the culture that we're living in is there's, there's a meshing and there's an overlap of biblical teaching and culture. And some of it is getting skewed and some of it's getting turned around and some of it is not staying wholesome to what God's word actually teaches. And, and that's the difficulty and the tension that we live specifically in, in this age, and it's not new, because people in generations past have had to dealt, deal with that tension as well, specifically the church of Pergamum. And a few verses down, verses 14 and 15, Peter continues to say, he says, they commit adultery with their eyes. Their desire for sin is never satisfied. They, they lure unstable people into sin, and they are well-trained in greed and they are under God's curse. They have wandered off the road, uh, the right road and followed the footsteps of Balaam, the son of Besor, who loved to earn money by wrongdoing. Now, just to let you know, Peter's in the New Testament, not in the Old Testament, because sometimes you read some of this and you think, wow, this is pretty harsh, this is pretty difficult. Well, let's go back to the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 25. Um, uh, sorry, in Revelation, this is the verse, Revelation 2.14, that's talking about the teaching of Balaam. But look at what he says here. There are some among you who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they had food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. So let me tell you what, what happened here. So Balaam goes to Balak, right? And he says, I can't curse Israel. God has blessed them. This happens three times, right? And he says, I can't do more than what God is allowing me to do. I'm not gonna, you know, I, I can't, I can't do anything more than that. Balak is totally upset with Balaam and said, I would have given you so much riches and honor and given you this and that, you know, if you had done this for me, but look, you've come here and you've blessed Israel instead of cursing them. And, and Balaam, I think, was feeling a little bit bad, so he goes to Balak on the side. We don't read about this particularly, but we read about it later on, and, and also the book of Revelation gives us a little hint. But what he does is he says, psst, psst, Balak, here, I'll let you in on a secret. You know, I, I can't, I can't curse them, but if you get your women to come out and entice them to come back in and worship your gods and commit sexual immorality, oh, yeah, do that, you'll have them in your trap. Just do that, but don't tell God I told you. <laughs> and so Balaam 
like we don't read this particularly, but look here in Numbers, in Numbers 25. It says, while the Israelites were camped in the Kyre Grove, some of the men defiled themselves by having sexual relations with the local Moabite women. They, they were listening to what Balaam, the little side advice that Balaam had given to Balak. These women invited them to attend sacrifices to their gods so that the Israelites feasted with them and worshiped the gods of Moab. In this way, Israel joined the worship of Baal of Peor and causing the Lord's anger to blaze against his people. Now, the, the difficult thing for us to understand is that this was, this was readily understandable for the people in the first century as we read about the church of Pergamum. But for us, it's a little bit more difficult to understand because we're not involved in that act active outward worship of idols where we bow down, we worship, we're eating, we're feasting and doing all those things. But what I want us to do is to listen to the spirit and to ask the Lord to speak, uh, speak to us and convict us. Is there something that's within our heart that's idolatry? Is there something that's within our heart that takes the place of God before Jesus? Is there something that's within our heart that we are worshiping, that we're putting a priority on? Whether that's, that's sports or our job or something that we enjoy that's taking up our time and energy in, in, in the place of God. Sometimes it could even be our family that we put a greater priority on that instead of actually putting Jesus in the first place. And there are times when things within our heart can be idol worship. And here what happened is that they caused them to uh, attend to the sacrifices of their gods and they feasted and they rejoiced and sexual immorality and all of these things were on norm for the day. They did all of those things. And they turned their hearts away from God. And the question that we have to ask ourselves and, and the, the, the thing that we need to listen to the Spirit of God speaking to us it might not be that we're going into a temple or into idol worship or bowing down to a gold image or a statue or something like that. We might not be doing those things outwardly, physically, but within our heart. Is that happening? Where instead of Jesus having the first place and the priority, there's something else that's taking that place. A few chapters later in chapter 31, verse 16, these are the very ones. Moses here is rebuking Israel, and he says, these are the very ones who followed Balaam's advice and caused the people of Israel to rebel against the Lord at Mount Peor, referring to what happened in Numbers 25. They are the ones who caused the plague to strike the Lord's people. See, Balaam is, is a picture of a corrupt teacher He's a picture of someone who compromises the word of God, compromises the ways of the Lord. And even though God had told Balaam that he would just bless the children of Israel and he couldn't do anything more, look at how he tells Balak to do something else and causes Israel to sin. And probably at Pergamum, they were facing the pressures of society, of culture. And the thought was, can we compromise the ways of the Lord? Can there be some type of syncretism that connects the ways of God with some of these idol worship. Is there some way that we don't look so bad in the eyes of culture? I want to live in Pergamum, but I don't want to be the outcast. Come on, is there any way that I could just, you know, go to the temple of Eclipsis and, and have my spa treatment? Come on, you know, they just put out a new production at the theater. Can I, can I go there and just enjoy that? And they were, they were trying to figure out a way. Is there a way that I can still honor God, but still allow some of these other things that are going on, which were not just experiences, but they were worship. 
And for us, we have to examine our hearts and lives and say, is what I'm doing worship? Have the lines of the truth of God's word and what, what culture teaches us, have they blurred? You know, when it comes to entertainment, when it comes to things that, that we can watch and see, you know what culture does? It just pounds away at us, pounds and pounds and pounds and pounds until it's just normal. We watch a TV show and we laugh and I'm guilty of this as well. And we see, we laugh at it, but it's pounding away at our morality. It's pounding away year after year, decade after decade, generation after generation, where we just become desensitized to it. And the line between what God's word teaches and what culture expects from us becomes blurred and says, well, well, I just want to be able to, I need to live in this world. Well, well, that's the tension the people at Pergamum had. I just want to see the latest production. Is that anything wrong? Well, you got to worship Dionysus in order to do that. Now, again, I'm not saying anything wrong with going to Cineplex or going to do that. Each of us have to figure out, you know, what we have to listen to the spirit. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of those things. But what I am saying is that we need to listen to the spirit to see what has culture desensitized us to? That we compromise God's word and don't stay faithful to Jesus because there's something else within our heart that's taking the place of Jesus more than him. So one of the reasons why we're doing this uh, event called Live Called and we're, we're partnering, it's run by the Mission Sub, but we're partnering with them because we want people to understand and know how can I be an engineer? There's a breakout room for engineers. How can I be an engineer and live missionally in this way? How can I be in the arts and entertainment industry and live missionally in that way? Our own Keisha Wint is going to be one of the speakers there for that breakout room. How can I, in, in whatever industry uh, that, that, I'm, that I'm in, how can I still live in that but be the light of Christ, live missionally, and stay faithful to God's word? And that's the challenge, and that's the, that's the tension. Because God doesn't call us out of the world. He told, he, when he prayed to the Father before he left, he says, I'm not telling you to take them out of the world, Father, but keep them from the hour of temptation. Keep them. God has called us in the world to be lights in the world. And not to compromise, not, to, not for there to be like the syncretism that, that changes what we believe in God's word, but we stay faithful to what God has told us to do. But we be lights in all of those industries, in whatever the industry might be, in whatever God has gifted us in, whatever God has called us in, whatever God has given our hands to do, whether we're a teacher or a nurse or a doctor or an engineer or, or a landscaper or whatever industry that we are in, God wants to leverage that for kingdom purposes. God wants us to be used for his purpose. Ask ourselves and listen to the spirit today. You know, in the world today, it's all, it's, right now it's like, do whatever feels good. Well, if I feel like that, well, I have the right to feel like that and I want to do that and so this is my right, this is my desires. That is so contrary to the word of God. 
Jesus says in Matthew 16, then Jesus said to the disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Can you see the distinction between the way Jesus' kingdom works and the way the kingdom of this world works? Some, a couple years ago, I think we did a series called The Upside Down Kingdom because the kingdom of God is in stark contrast to the kingdom of this world. And it's up to us to listen to the spirit of God. In Ephesians, it says, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. There was another doctrine in that church and it was the doctrine of the Nicolaitans and because of time I'm not gonna go into all of that. We don't know exactly what that was but it was spreading through the church. It was a wrong teaching and, and Paul exhorts Timothy here in 2 Timothy 4. He talks about encouraging him with, with good teaching, staying faithful to wholesome teaching because there'll come a time when people will go after their own desires. The, the church in Ephesus which we studied a couple of weeks ago they were commended actually for not clinging to this doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Now, in Pergamum, Antipas, he was a faithful martyr. Some scholars think he could have even been the bishop of Pergamum. And maybe he had a public trial and execution because he didn't want to compromise with the idolatry of the day. Friends, as we, in your life groups, you'll dig into this topic a little bit more uh, as we study God's word together. But I want to encourage you, listen to the Spirit. What is the Spirit of God speaking to you? How can we live missionally in this world? How can we live purposefully in this world? How can we live in a way that honors God and stays faithful to his word? It's not easy. There's lots of tensions that are there and lots of decisions that need to be made. And that's why we need the spirit of God's wisdom and help and understanding. And finally, there's a call to repentance, to repent of our sin. In, in verse 16, repent of your sin or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. It speaks again about the word of God. Look at what Jesus says in John 12. He says, there's a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at that last day. So when he says, I will come and with the sword of my mouth, I will judge you. Here it talks about the very words, the word of God that he speaks to us. That's what's gonna come in that final day. And then there's a reward. There's a reward to those that overcome. In verse 17, it says this, to everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. And I will give to each one a white stone, and on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. Friends, God is calling us to repent. As we listen to the Spirit, let's repent and turn to the Lord in ways that we failed Him, in ways that we have not lived up to God's Word. And He calls us to live faithfully to His Word. And, and the reward here is interesting. It's, it's hidden manna, right? And it's, it's a white stone with a name that nobody knows. Uh, a number of years ago when I was in, in, I think I was in high school at the time, and the Lord woke me up at four o'clock in the morning and I couldn't sleep and I felt I should go and pray. So I went downstairs to our living room and I just started to pray. And when I prayed, I, I, God gave me a vision. And I saw a vision and in that, I saw these white things on the ground and the Lord spoke to me, that's manna, Daniel. You have to get up early and pick it up. This was 4 a.m. in the morning. 
And I knew that the Lord was speaking to me to install some rhythms in my life of reading God's word and, 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 and devotion and discipleship and, and spending time in God's presence. And I want to encourage you to install rhythms in your life of Bible reading and Bible study, devotions and prayer, spending time with God, spiritual disciplines. Unfortunately, I've, I've left that and I haven't been doing that of getting up early and spending time with the Lord and I need to go back to that as I listen to the Spirit as he convicts me. In Timothy it says, keep a close watch on how you live and your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. This is an exhortation to me, but it's an exhortation to all of us to stay faithful to the teachings of the word of God. And so when you look at this manna and this white stone, I look at this and I say, hey, there's two rewards here, but I think it matches up with two longings, two wrong solutions, and two right solutions. So the two longings I think within us is the longing to be satisfied, which sadly people in Pergamum filled with idolatry, and the longing to be loved, which sadly the people in Pergamum filled with sexual immorality. The wrong solutions to this is idolatry, it's worship. And the other wrong solution is feasting and it, it, was, it was you'd go into these temples and you would feast and there was sexual immorality and all sorts of things that were going on. That was the wrong solution. But the right solution that Jesus gives is this hidden manna that satisfies its food, that satisfies the longing of our soul. And that name that nobody knows, it's the intimacy of knowing Jesus. Because he knows that name, you know that name and nobody else does. It's the intimacy of knowing Jesus. In Isaiah 56, it says, I will give them within my walls, within the walls of my house, a memorial and a name greater than sons and daughters. For the name I will give them is an everlasting one. It will never disappear. And then he says this. He says, I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem. And I will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. And I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Friends, this is what Jesus wants to do in our lives. He wants to bring us into his presence. Do you know where the hidden manna was kept in the Old Testament? When the manna came down on the ground, the Lord told Moses, take some manna, put it in an urn, and put it in the most holy place in the Ark of the Covenant the place where the Shekinah glory of God was, the, the immediate presence of God, the tangible feeling of God's presence. You go into the most holy place, you open up the Ark of the Covenant, and there is the hidden manna, and God says, I'm gonna give you that so that you can know me, and so that you can love me, and that you can have intimacy with me, and that you can have the purest form of knowing the fullness of who Jesus is and his love as we come into that most holy place in fellowship with Jesus. I told you about that word, sozo, that it means salvation and healing. And that word, sozo, if you look at it in the temple of eclipses, it was, it was healing, but his name also, meant, soter, meant salvation. But let me tell you that there is a name that is above every other name. There is a God that is above every other God, greater than Dionysus, greater than eclipses, greater than Zeus, greater than Athena, greater than all of those gods, and his name is Jesus. 
Because at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father because there's power in the name of Jesus. And in whatever situation that you find yourselves, friends, today experience and know the power in the name of Jesus. The power in the name of Jesus to save. The power in the name of Jesus to heal. The power in the name of Jesus to transform your life. The power in the name of Jesus to do something that you can never imagine of. He can do it for you today. And you don't need to go to the temple of Dionysus. You don't need to go to the temple of Athena. You don't need to find some type of compromise with the world. You don't need to find something that can satisfy you that only the world gives because in Jesus, there is complete and total satisfaction. And in the name of Jesus, oh, there is power. Shall we all stand today and we're gonna sing because there's hope for the hopeless in the name of Jesus. There's healing for the broken in the name of Jesus. There's rest for the weary in the name of Jesus. There's rescue for the hurting in the name of Jesus. Everything is found in the name of Jesus. And as Jesus wrote this letter to the church in Pergamum, and he knew the difficulty that they were in, that they were right there where Satan's seat was, and he was calling them, and he said, please, forget about all of those other gods. Forget about all of those other temples. Come into my house, into my house of prayer, and I will give you a name better than sons and daughters. I will give you an everlasting name, and you'll be joyful in my house of prayer, and your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, I'll accept them, and you will know me and I will know you and it will last for all eternity because it's all about the name of Jesus let's sing